Welcome to the 197th episode of the 4th and 24 podcast with Patrick Winograd. I'm your host, Randy Winograd. In this edition of the podcast, our topics are a brief overview of Patrick's weekend predictions, our weekly look at the NBA, and a review of the first week of NCAA tournament action. Let's jump right in with a look back at Patrick's weekend predictions, which are posted every Thursday on our website, 4thand24.com, starting in the NBA, where Patrick went 3-1 with his weekend predictions. Moving on to college basketball, Patrick went 1-3 with those predictions, meaning he went a combined 4-4 four four last week. That brings him to a 685 and 441 overall record, which is a 60.8% winning percentage. Patrick, your thoughts on your weekend predictions? Well, I think that the NCAA tournament in general is a little bit unpredictable. Uh, I'm doing pretty well in my bracket so far, so I won't say that it's unpredictable entirely, but um, the specific games I picked, I picked, you know, the closer games on those two days, and uh, I picked a few upsets, I picked a few closer games, and then... uh, you know, I sw- one of them was in the around a 32 game between Duke and Tennessee, and then the other ones were all round of 64 games on Friday, I believe. Um, but I got the Duke game wrong. I wasn't expecting that at all. And then, you know, I just tried to pick the games with the closer spreads in the round of 64, and the only game I got right was Michigan State being USC. Uh, you had a controversial ending at the end of FAU in Memphis that uh, stripped me of a win there. But, uh, I mean, regardless, we'll talk about why that game was uh, more important later on. Um, and then Pitt just beat number six, Iowa State. There was kind of a controversy there with the whole rim thing with Iowa State not being able to warm up, whatever. But I'm not really going to talk much about that one because I think that was one of the more, uh, I'll just say, ambiguous moments of the tournament. There wasn't really much information going on there, so I don't really I don't really have anything to, to say about it because I can't just speculate on random stuff. Um, but... Those were the games that I predicted, got those three wrong, other than the Michigan State game. That was the one I got right. In the NBA, the Bulls beat the Timberwolves in overtime, 139-131. to Very important game between two play-in-level teams there. Uh, the Mavericks beat the Lakers on a last-second shot. That was my only loss of the week, was the Mavericks hitting a buzzer-beater, Maxi Kleba, off a pass from Kyrie Irving uh, to put the Mavs on top and win the game for them. They were down by two. Shot went in as the buzzer sounded, so... Unfortunate that that was my that that I lost that game, but I'll, I'll take it being the one loss. Um, the Bulls I did pick correctly, and then you have the Knicks who beat the Nuggets one sixteen to one ten. The Nuggets continue their recent slide. Um, so the Knicks look to get back on track. I got that one right, and the Grizzlies beat the Warriors one thirty three to one nineteen. In the NBA, honestly, in what is currently the NBA's only true rivalry, um, where the players actually care that much and have a lot of beef. There are a lot of historical rivalries, but this one is the only one that has players who actually do not like each other whatsoever. Um, A very hostile rivalry between those two right now. Yeah, uh, a lot of public comments there. Uh, Unusual, like you said, for teams without uh, a lot of on-the-court or geographic rivalry uh, on-the-court significant games. All right, well, Patrick's predictions for next weekend will be posted, as always, on our website, 4thand24.com, on Thursday. Let's now move our attention to our weekly recap of the NBA Starting always, as always, with your three most impressive teams of the past week. Well, I will start with the New York Knicks. They went 2-0 this week. They beat Portland and they beat Denver. Uh, They went cold last week after their long winning streak. I don't remember if I had them on the uh, most disappointing teams of the week, but I think they were at least in contention for it because I think they went 1-3. Their one win might have saved them. Uh, But they needed a bounce-back week to get back on track, and they were able to do just that this week. They're now in the five-seed position in the East. Uh, and they look pretty safe from the play-in. 
but we don't know for sure if they will be there or not. Um, and they need to close out the season well to ensure that they stay above Brooklyn and Miami. It is yet to be determined. Uh, the second team, the Philadelphia 76ers, they went 3-0 this week. They beat Indiana, they beat Charlotte, and they beat Cleveland. Uh, while Joel Embiid is trying to make his case for the, MVA, for the NBA MVP this season, his 76ers are surging at the right time as well. Uh, Embiid would be my player of the week if I hadn't given it to him last week as well, to be quite honest, which is quite ironic because the current MVP discussion is talking about Embiid getting the MVP instead of Jokic because of voter fatigue, and here I am with my little mini player of the week not wanting to give it to Embiid because of my own voter fatigue. Uh, so yes, it is probably a thing, and it might lead to Embiid getting the MVP, and if he does, I think it's well-deserved, uh, either him or Giannis. Out of the last three years, Jokic probably has been the best player all three years and the most valuable player, but at the same time, the NBA does have a history of not giving the award to the best player. Um, note LeBron James not having as many MVPs as he should. There are couple other players who have fallen victim to that as well. So it's not really a problem with me if they're going to do that whole voter fatigue thing. But moving back to the Sixers as a team, they're on an eight-game winning streak right now, and they're now tied with the Celtics for second place uh, and only two and a half game back, games back of Milwaukee for the number one overall seed in, or sorry, no, the number one seed in the East. Uh, I don't know if it's the number one overall seed currently, but it might be too late for them to claim the number one seed overall. Uh, but I do think they will get a relatively easy matchup in the first round after ending the season on a high note. I think that one of the teams were about to, or what, I mean, we, well, we'll talk about them a little bit later. But when you look at the East, the bottom of the conference, especially when you're talking about the play-in, um, and you could argue teams five and below, honestly. But I really think there's a big three, then there's two other teams. And then the rest of them are not that great. Um, so I, any of them would be easy matchups. The one team that at least has some experience is my is the Miami Heat. So maybe you want to avoid that matchup, but you can't do anything about that because they're currently fighting for the play-in. So that'll be determined based upon how they end up playing at the end of the season. Uh, but regardless, I think if you get one of those top three spots in the East, you're going to have a pretty easy matchup, especially if you get one of the top two. Um, but then... We have the Toronto Raptors. Speaking of easy matchups, the Raptors went 3-1 and one this week. They beat Minnesota, Oklahoma City, Denver, and they lost to Milwaukee. Um, when I'm talking about easy matchups, I'm not saying they have an easy matchup or had an easy week. I'm saying they are one of those teams that's an easy matchup for any of the playoff teams. Uh, they did a great job this week, though, running through an extremely tough schedule. Played the top team in both conferences and two teams fighting for play-in positioning in the West and went with 3-1 and one in that stretch, which is a pretty good... Uh, week for them and then they really need to start putting things together but they I think they're starting to do that at the right time uh, it's the most important part of the year obviously and they need to keep this going because they are only in the ninth seed in the east it would be really good for them to get the eight seed because they are currently 0.5 games back of the Hawks who have that eight seed right now all right let's uh, switch gears move to the most disappointing teams in the NBA last week well I will start with the Brooklyn Nets this is one of the teams I was talking about with the easy matchups they are currently only one game ahead of the Heat to avoid being in the play-in bracket. If they're able to close out the season with a solid 11-game stretch, they'll face out face off with Boston or Philly in the first round, uh, whichever one of them falls to the three seed. But if they're not able to do that, they will play one of those big three teams, but with a higher chance of playing Milwaukee and then also playing whoever finished the season stronger out of Boston and Philly. Um, so I think you don't want to play any of those three teams, and I don't think they're able to beat any of those three teams. Um, but avoiding the play-in 
would still help them a lot, even if they ended up only with the six seed. Obviously, ideally, they could get to the five, get ahead of the Knicks, and set up a matchup with Cleveland, which would be a much better matchup than any of those really, really, really strong teams in the East. But at the same time, uh, that might not be possible. So right now, just trying to play a little bit better at the end of the year. Hope to still build that team chemistry, considering that this is pretty much an entirely retooled roster from the end of the season um, with what they did at the trade deadline. Then you have the Minnesota Timberwolves, who are the second team on here. They went 1-3 and three this week. They lost to Toronto, Chicago, and Boston, and they beat Atlanta. Uh, Minnesota is tied with the Lakers and the Jazz for, well, every seed 9 through 11, actually, if you want to put it that way. Um, entering today, they loom just one half game back, uh, or sorry, New Orleans looms just one half game back of the Timberwolves. Uh, but a week like this is devastating in the West. Minnesota would be tied for the, with the Warriors for the seventh seed if they had just gone 2-2 two and two instead of 1-3. and three. It's crazy how much one game can impact a team right now, but that is what's going on in the West so far, uh, just the way the conference is looking in terms of the playoff run. Um, with only two teams separating the seed 6-12, to 12, that is kind of what I'm referring to there. It's really just true that every game is important. Uh, and the Timberwolves are playing poorly at a pretty bad time to do so, along with having some injury issues as well. Uh, they're just not having they're just not having good timing on anything this season. Uh, and the West is just too tight for teams to survive if they're playing like this. Um, and then finally, I have the Warriors. They went one and three this week. They lost to Memphis, Atlanta, and the Clippers, and they beat Phoenix. The Warriors will get the same talk from me that I just gave to the Timberwolves. They need to start winning more games if they want to maintain their standing in the West. Uh, they have a little bit of a larger cushion than Minnesota does to lose a few games. But every loss is a bad loss at this point in the year. The Warriors also do have significant playoff experience. So A, they should know how, how important these games are. And B, they should be able to figure out their issues. Um, but they really don't have any excuses. Obviously, you can say Andrew Wiggins isn't there. But I don't think Wiggins makes up that much of a difference that this team literally cannot win a game on the road at all. Um, I, I don't think he makes that big of an impact. He definitely does change their ceiling. They, I don't think they can win a championship if Wiggins isn't going to come back this season because he was probably, arguably, maybe the second or third most important player on that team last year. Obviously, Steph was the most important, but I really think you could argue that Wiggins was the second best and the second most important to their run last year. Um, and as a result, they don't have him. They're just not a championship-level team uh, with how they've been this year. But the most important thing is the fact that they have not won a road game since January 30th against the Hawks. Um, or sorry, against the Thunder. They have lost 11 road games in a row, requiring them to be nearly perfect at home to actually make up for that deficiency and be able to get into the playoffs. And I guess you could say try to avoid the play-in bracket, but I'm not so sure that can happen anymore. Um, if they're, they're not losing many games at home, I will say... But if they're going to be this bad on the road, they can't win a playoff series at all because they're not going to be hosting it because they're going to lose home court because of the fact that they can't win on the road in the regular season. Uh, so if they can't figure out that differential soon, it could mark the end of their season when we reach the playoffs. All right, let's move to your uh, NBA Player of the Week. I will give it to DeMar DeRozan of the Bulls. Uh, the Bulls are trying to work their way into the playoff picture, fighting to get back in there, get into the play-in bracket. Uh, he averaged 35.3 points, 7.3 rebounds, 5.7 assists, and 2.7 steals per game this week. Uh, and the Bulls, I think, went 2-1, and one, so a pretty strong week for them, uh, as I said, as they try to get back into playoff contention. All right, let's move off the NBA, move to college basketball, uh, which is all about the first week of NCAA tournament action, and we'll 
you know, kind of go with a, a little bit of an NBA look back kind of theme with some lists. Um, let's start with your five most impressive teams of the first weekend. Well, this is the list, to spoil a little bit, our next list is the five biggest surprises. So if you don't hear a team on here, there's a reason why. Uh, but these are kind of the teams that were actually supposed to win a game or two, depending on who it is, uh, that actually came out and just looked good. I will start with number with number one. I'm giving that to Arkansas. Uh, I, I really don't think that anybody, I, I, don't, I, I won't say nobody expected them to beat Kansas because the numbers do back up that this is a very strong team and they've had health issues all year long. They were a top 10 preseason team. They looked great at the Maui Invitational, just like the third team on this list that I'm going to talk about in a second. But the fact of the matter is, Arkansas was still not, it's still a one over, an, sorry, it's still an eight seed beating a one seed. It's not something that's supposed to happen um, at all. So for Arkansas to go out and get this win, it was definitely surprising. Um, I, they played really well. I, I'm very, I'm very, very surprised that they were able to get that win. Uh, but they just looked impressive all week long. I mean, beating Illinois also, they did that pretty easily. Never really let Illinois into the game. Uh, they just kind of took the lead early and never really looked back. And I, I thought that was even a very impressive win as well. And then playing Kansas, who's really an entirely different style of team as Illinois and definitely a more talented team and a better team, to go out and get that win after that Illinois win. It's just a very good week from Arkansas, a very good showing. Obviously, any team that made the Sweet 16 had a good week. But Arkansas was especially impressive with how they played this week. To me, the second team I'm going with is UConn. My Dark Horse Final Four pick. Uh, well, I had another one too, but that team lost. And well, that, that was Duke, obviously, is who I'm talking about. Um, but UConn, as a four seed, technically they're supposed to make the Sweet 16. Uh, statistically, when you consider that they were going to be the higher, seed, higher seeded team in any matchup they played this weekend. However... I was very impressed in the fashion in which they did it. I thought St. Mary's was at least going to keep that game close, but UConn really pulled away at the start, kind of in the middle of the second half, just started executing better on offense. A lot of people even had them on upset alert with Iona. I don't really know why people do that every year, why they always pick a good team and then put them on upset alert. It's the same thing how everybody always picks uh, a five seed that won their conference tournament and says that they're going to make it all the way to the final four when they never do. And I should have learned my lesson that that's what was going to happen with Duke this year, just like it happened with Iowa last year. Uh, but at least Duke made it out of the first round. Uh, but look, UConn just played a really, really strong weekend. They looked great on the offensive end. Both both games in the first half, they were a little bit uh, a little bit underwhelming, but they were still taking in taking uh, leads or I think they were down by one or two at both of those half times for both of those games. So it wasn't like they were ever out of it. I mean, they're, they're, when they were playing at their worst, they were trailing by two or three in any of those games, other than St. Mary's getting, I think, an 11-2 run at the beginning of uh, the that game between those two. So UConn looked really impressive this week, very surprised, or not actually very surprised, but very, very impressed with their level of play because uh, I really do think that they looked like the Final Four team that I have predicted they are uh, this week. And then you have Creighton, who, same thing as UConn, looked like a Final Four-level team again uh, with how they played this week. I was very, very impressed with them. Obviously, that's why they're on this list. But Creighton, technically not in a matchup that they're supposed to win. As a sixth seed, they were not favored uh, in their second-round matchup over Baylor. They also have had some injury issues recently um, with one of their rotational players going out. They're now really playing with pretty much a six-man rotation for the rest of the season, which that'll be pretty interesting to see how that ends up working for them um, in the rest of the tournament, especially against deeper and bigger teams. 
But for now, they lucked out with an easy matchup because of something else that happened in that bracket that I'll get to in a second. Uh, but Creighton really starting to play like a Final Four team like they should be. Uh, just like UConn, another strong team in the Big East that's just playing their way through the year, playing well. Uh, and the Big East overall pretty impressive to me. Uh, but I will move on to a conference that was overall very unimpressive all year long. Uh, but at least this team kind of picked up the mantle for them. Miami. Uh, they were able to beat Indiana. Not many people, I, I won't say not many people at it. I feel like that was kind of a, a pretty much a toss-up matchup. Uh, they, they struggled against Drake for a while. Really only took control of that game at the very end. I believe they ended on a 16-3 run or something like that after being down 55-49 to with maybe four or so minutes left. So Miami definitely had their fair share of struggles in the first weekend, but the motto of the tournament is to survive in advance, and that's exactly what they did. Uh, it doesn't really matter the margin that they did it by. Uh, they just were able to do it, and that's the only thing that matters. Same thing with Houston getting through in that same bracket. It's the same principle, survive in advance. doesn't really matter the margin you win by. Uh, but then you have Kansas State at the end of this. Kansas State, a lot of people thought were going to lose to Kentucky. Uh, Kansas State just came out and played a solid weekend. I mean, I don't think they were... It, the reason why they're fifth on this list is because they weren't incredible. Um, I thought both of the one seeds could have claimed a spot if they won by larger margins, but they didn't. Um, but, you know, Kansas State didn't look amazing, but at the same time, they played in a matchup that everybody thought was a bad matchup for them in that 3-6 matchup against um, Kentucky. Marquise Noel is a 5-8 point guard playing against Kentucky. He was one of the tallest teams in the country runs a 6'4", 6'3"-ish point guard with Case and Wallace. It, it's just, it, it was a hard matchup for them size-wise, but yet they were able to deal with it. They overcame the fact that they could not take Sheway off the offensive boards, and Kentucky just had one of their worst shooting nights of the season, but Kansas State did as well, um, and I believe they hit maybe four or five threes in the last minute of the game after starting 1 of 14, 1 of 15, something like that, and that was able to will them to the win at the end of the day, and that's what matters for Kansas State. They looked pretty good in their win over Kentucky. Let's now move to the five biggest surprises of the first weekend that you hinted about. Well, I will give Fairleigh Dickinson uh, the credit here. I think for sure they deserve it. The 16 seed pulling off the upset over the one, uh, that being Purdue. I actually did think for a second to put Princeton over Fairleigh Dickinson because that's how little I believed in Purdue all season long. Uh, I really just... I said it to a few people off podcast, and I think I did say it at least in some stretch here. At the end of the season, Purdue had just been slumping. They just had not looked good at all. When you look at how the Big Ten played in the tournament, Purdue was almost losing to or lost to a bunch of teams that lost in the first weekend. I mean, a good example, you have Northwestern, you have Iowa, you have, uh, who, who else did they lose to? They lost to Indiana twice at the end of the season. Indiana lost to Miami. I mean, it's very clear. I think that if you followed Big Ten basketball this season, you knew that Purdue was going to lose in the first weekend, honestly. Yeah. I don't think that anybody thought, even though I did predict them to go a little bit farther, maybe not you knew because technically you can't know anything in the tournament, but I really feel like Purdue was the first team in a very long time, probably since Virginia, uh, that had the potential to actually lose at every single individual point of the tournament. Except I, nobody thought they were losing to Fairleigh Dickinson. Nobody thought they were losing to Fairleigh Dickinson, but I would have said, if you would have asked me who's the most likely 16 seed to get an upset yeah. over a one, I 100% would have put my money on Fairleigh Dickinson beating Purdue just because of the fact 
that Purdue has just looked weak all season long. Um, and frankly, uh, you know, a lot of people are talking, I, now this has turned into a Purdue conversation, but Fairley Dickinson, I mean, that is kind of the conversation with Fairley Dickinson, though, that they were able to beat this team. But at the same time, I really do think that, you know, for some teams in the Big Ten, it might actually be harder to stop Purdue because they are also built the same way with a big man that's kind of the center of the team and, you know, trying to put shooters around them, but maybe not doing the best at doing that. Whereas teams that aren't built like that, they don't operate in the post. They're not used to being in the post. They don't need, Edie is not shutting down anything they're doing offensively. When you look at a team like Michigan, for example, Edie's shutting down Hunter Dickinson because of his length and he's making it harder on him. Same thing with Indiana and Trace Jackson Davis, although obviously that didn't that didn't bear out in those games. But theoretically, that's what's going to happen. When you have a team that's not playing really any true centers, it doesn't really matter that Edie is there because if anything, it gives them an offensive advantage because they can just square up and shoot over him and they can switch everything on defense because it doesn't matter. They're always going to have a size disadvantage over him. Um, but really disappointed with Purdue in terms of not even getting Edie a shot in like the final 12 minutes or whatever it was not shooting anything but threes for the last five minutes when they couldn't hit a three all game. It was a pretty poor job of executing at the end of the game. But credit to Fairleigh Dickinson for fighting, forcing those shots, knowing that Purdue uh, was a team, I, I mean, was a team that had gone cold from three and that had been their downfall in many games this year. I really think Fairleigh Dickinson did the scouting and they just said, look, if we are going to beat this team, they need to be cold shooting from three. That is how they're going to lose any game this season. That is how they lost all their games this season. So Fairleigh Dickinson just did a good job of forcing Purdue into their weakness and just making them shoot threes and saying, look, you can beat us if you're going to shoot the three, but we don't think you're going to be able to. That's exactly what happened. And Fairleigh Dickinson got the win. And then they played a pretty tough game against FAU, who I'm going to talk about in a bit. Um, But FAU able to come out with the win over Fairleigh Dickinson, so no Sweet 16 for for the 16 seed. Uh, but at the same time, look, Fairleigh Dickinson coming out, winning that first game, coming back in that FAU game after they could have folded a few different times and actually taking the lead in the second half a few times was pretty impressive. And I just think this is definitely one of the best stories. Um, it's also funny because they're the only team in all of the tournament who didn't win their conference tournament. And they were they actually should not have been in the tournament. They're only in the tournament because of a dumb NCAA rule that you can't be in the tournament in your first five years of D1 play. It should have been Merrimack here. But anyway, uh, regardless of that, it's just crazy that a team that, to be quite honest with you, is that bad was able to come up with that big of an upset because UMBC, even if you look at the net rankings and the metrics, they were not rated that low. And Purdue was also the biggest favorite of all time, or or the the highest point spread of all time to lose a game. Uh, Not very surprising, but at the same time, um, look, Fairleigh Dickinson deserves all the credit. Uh, they were a great story this March, and uh, we always have one of those. But we have, an, we have another story that was almost as good, which is why you know, I consider putting up here. Princeton. This team did not play its best game and still beat the number two-seeded Arizona Wildcats. Um, I was surprised. I, I mean, honestly, when Purdue was losing, it just felt like throughout the game, I mean, I think we, we watched that game together, and I was looking at you the whole time like, they're going to lose this game. I mean, I said it multiple times. I, I, I say I don't think I find myself often, and I think a good example of this is when we were watching Houston, for example, playing Northern Kentucky. Northern Kentucky took the lead at multiple points in that game, and they were close. But I never turned to you and said, oh, my God, Houston's done. I, I never even came close to saying that. I just thought, okay, all they got to do is rebound, box out, just hit a few shots. They'll get one shot, and then it'll be over. With Purdue, it was the opposite, and with Arizona – 
it was the opposite as well. Arizona, one of the best offensive teams in the country, but the last three or four minutes of the game just couldn't get anything to go. And Princeton just won a run to actually be able to get that win. And by the time they had all the momentum in the world by beating Arizona while playing a bad game, I felt pretty strong about them beating Missouri just based off of the fact that Missouri has been really inconsistent all year long. Just one game will beat a team by 20, next game lose a game by 20. There have been a lot of teams in college basketball that have been like that this season, uh, but they might be at the top of that list. Um, So I I wasn't entirely surprised when Princeton came out and won that game, especially after they'd taken that early lead. I believe they were up 24 to to 13, something like that. They were up by double digits pretty early on in that game. Um, But they had a rough shooting night in the first game, and then in the second game they came out, shot better, and all of a sudden... They were in the Sweet 16, and that's kind of the story with Princeton. They were very, very impressive. Then you have another team, if you want to talk about off-shooting nights, Michigan State, the third-best three-point shooting team in the country, just went 2 of 16 from 3 and beat a two-seed. I've seen a lot of people saying that's got to be really scary when you look at any other team in the rest of their bracket, especially considering that the programs have like a combined... I mean, there there is a bracket that does have almost zero Final Fours. Um, But I actually think, yeah, actually it's Princeton's bracket. Princeton has the only Final Four appearance in their bracket, which is insane when you think about it. Um, But talk about that in a second. Uh, But look, Michigan State did play a very good game this weekend, played very great on the defensive end of the ball. And that's what was kind of able to push them through when they were kind of not playing so well shooting. They did a great job shutting down Boogie Ellis uh, from USC Winning that game 72-62, to 62, that was kind of the key there. Boogie did not have a good game at all. Uh, and USC doesn't really have too many other scores. Drew Peterson's kind of been injured. They did a good enough job of shutting him down as well. So they were able to get that matchup, get that win in a close game. I mean, obviously a 7-10 game. You get a win, you did your job. Both teams very capable of winning a tournament game in, this, in those 7-10 matchups. Um, but then in that 7-2 matchup, I mean, look... They are not supposed to win that game by any stretch of the imagination. And yet, Michigan State came in, able to beat the Big East champs. Uh, Marquette, interestingly enough, played very well in the Big East all season long. Had one loss since February, since January 8th or whatever the number was that I threw out on the last podcast. But at the same time, they lost to Wisconsin, they lost to Purdue, and they lost to Michigan State. So they could not figure out Big Ten teams this season, including one team that didn't make the tournament, and then obviously you have whatever you want to call Purdue season, um, and then the team that ended up knocking them out of the tournament. So Marquette couldn't figure out the Big Ten teams, don't know exactly why, uh, but that marked the end of their season, and uh, a tough end to a really, really strong finish for Marquette. It's bad that this, season's gonna, that this season is going to end with them looking like... A, a bad team in March because they really did play well at the end of the season. Um, a round of 32 exit is not what this team deserved, but at the same time, that's just kind of the way the cookie crumbles in the tournament. And then finally, you have FAU. Uh, I talked about them a little bit, but FAU played a really, really tough game against Memphis. Could not get it going from the three-point line. That was their strength. Really didn't get it going in the Fairleigh Dickinson game either. Uh, but they were still able to make it through the first weekend not shooting the ball well. FAU, one of the leaders in the country in three-point makes per game. They take a lot of them. Uh, They're up there in percentage, too. But, look, they played a good enough weekend. Um, As soon as Purdue lost, the target was kind of, everybody kind of thought, I mean, for obvious reasons, that the winner of that FAU-Memphis game was going to be in Sweet 16. 
Uh, but FAU took care of their business, and really, people did think Memphis was a heavy favorite in that game. So they do deserve credit uh, as being a surprise. And then finally, I'm going with TCU because they played with through injuries. They didn't have Eddie Lampkin, and they had a really tough matchup dealing with Drew Timmy because, I mean, the, the one of the worst things you could ever have happen to you is have one of your best players who led you almost to a tournament upset last year over a one seed have to leave the program as your starting center right before the Big 12 tournament before you also play a big man who has been player of the year a player of the year candidate for what three or four years now with Drew Timmy it was probably the worst possible matchup TCU could have been given and at the same time they also got uh, an Arizona State team that was hot and they were playing very very well um, and they barely gutted out that win but they deserve a lot of credit for going out and actually pulling out that win at the very end of the game it was a very hard fought victory uh, for TCU um, so a very good weekend for them but I would like to throw out one stat from uh, Ken Pomeroy he did say uh, this is the beginning of the week and it ended up being true that in the 64 team era there have been 36 teams to enter the tournament as a one or two seed that weren't ranked in the AP preseason poll they have combined for zero final fours averaging fewer than two wins per tournament the two teams that satisfied that criteria this week this weekend Purdue and Marquette which were two of the earliest teams to lose if you throw outside of that Kansas. And by the way, if you want to talk about other stats, Kansas is a defending champion. There has not been a repeat champion since 2006-2007. A lot of round of 32 upsets, uh, surprisingly, for the tournament uh, defending champions. But that stat is is pretty insane that that's kind of what happens. I mean, uh, one of those teams even, you, you want to talk about what happened with Purdue, the only other team actually... Um, to lose as a one seed to a 16 seed. Virginia was also a team that entered the preseason unranked and then ended up claiming a number one seed. So both times that the 16 seeds beat the one, you could maybe say it was due to a lack of talent on those one seeds because the fact of the matter is that's pretty much all the preseason rankings are. It's just basically how much did you keep? Where are your recruits ranked? Uh, Who is your coach? And those three things are kind of thrown into a blender, and that's how you get a preseason ranking. And typically, when you don't have enough to even be in the top 25, getting a one seed is really, really hard, but it just goes to show you that those teams kind of didn't quite have it. But uh, that's all my ranting about that stuff. We can move on to our predictions now. All right, well, let's take a look at the Sweet 16, starting with number seven, Michigan State, versus number three seed, Kansas State. Who do you got? Well, this region has absolutely no Final Four experience outside of Michigan State. Um, it's really good to... Well, I guess Tennessee has made the Final Four before. Um, but a relative lack of experience, I will say. Um, Michigan State looked really, really good this weekend, but I, I just I just can't see their... I mean, I guess I've said all year long that it's been such a bad year with no good teams that this could be the year we see sevens and nines and eights in the Final Four. But at the same time, now that we've gotten to this point, the tournament has actually been relatively chalk outside of really FAU, Arkansas, and um, no, pretty much outside of FAU, Arkansas, and then Princeton. Um, But I'm going to go with Kansas State here. I really do think that there, I I really think that Kentucky was a worse matchup for them than Michigan State is. Um, I think Michigan State is a more talented team, or sorry, I think Kentucky's a more talented team than Michigan State and also better in terms of the size matchup to deal with Kansas State. Um, so I do think that Kansas State has what it takes to beat Michigan State. I don't really think it should be surprising if a Big Ten team, uh, if the sole Big Ten representative in the Sweet 16 loses in the Sweet 16, none of the teams were supposed to make it except for Purdue and Indiana anyway. Uh, but 
Kansas State, I think, will help carry the mantle for the Big 12, and I think they will advance past Michigan State. But this is really, really a tough matchup to decide. Yeah, and I'm going to take an emotional hedge here and pick Michigan State. So uh, let's move on to number 9-seeded Florida Atlantic against number 4-seeded Tennessee on the other side of that region. Well, I really want to pick FAU here. I, I really do. I really think that there's a possibility that they had a rough shooting weekend in the first weekend, and they will just go out, shoot well, shoot the lights out of the ball, and be able to just shoot over Tennessee and win the game. Um, but Tennessee is a more solid team overall, and they're actually, if both teams are struggling uh, from the field, that's right in Tennessee's comfort zone. That's basically what they did all season long. I mean, they, well, even when they beat Alabama, they were struggling shooting from the field. So that wouldn't be a surprise at all to them, whereas for FAU, that's a very unfamiliar style. Um, so I'll go with Tennessee for that. Um, and then also in this region, I do have Kansas State beating Tennessee in that matchup if it's, if it's going to happen. I, I think that no matter what, actually, I think the Final Four representative is coming from that top matchup. Okay, well, um, I'm not going to emotionally hedge and take Michigan State to get to the Final Four. I'm going with Tennessee. Uh, one thing I do want to add on that, though, is I really do think that if there's ever going to be a game that's going to be swung by the refs, I think it's going to be this game because either they're going to let Tennessee play football like the SEC does all the time or they're going to call it super, super tight like they like some games have been called in the tournament because not all of them have been like that. But some games have been called super tight. If they're calling it that way, Tennessee is not going to win this game. But if they call it like they call some SEC games, some Big, some big Ten games – there's no way FAU is going to be able to deal with that physicality. Okay, well then let's move over to the West region, starting with number eight seeded Arkansas versus number four UConn. Who you got? I'm surprised this is a unanimous call from us, but I picked UConn to be in the Final Four straight up before this re- when this region was drawn up. Uh, with when when this matchup was supposed to be Kansas UConn, I still had Kansas winning. I mean, I still had UConn winning. So I don't really care that Arkansas ended up getting the win. I really think like those two teams pose equally um, dangerous threats to UConn. I just think UConn's better. Um, I had them as a Final Four team before the tournament started. I had them as a Final Four team months ago. I had them as the number one team in the country months ago, uh, way at the beginning of the season before they went through their struggles in the Big East. And I really don't think I can back off of it now. So I'm just going to keep riding them, say that they're going to win this game and then also win and make it to the Final Four. Yeah, I'm going to agree with you. So uh, nothing else to talk about. Let's move on to... Number three-seeded Gonzaga against number two-seeded UCLA. Well, the winner of this matchup will play UConn, but I don't really care who comes out of it. I have UConn for sure, but I'm going to go with Gonzaga in this game. I really do think that UCLA, um, I've said all year long, actually, that UCLA, mostly off-podcast, but whenever I get asked about them, I always say that they were Elite Eight floor, Final Four ceiling, which is crazy because that just is almost impossible to do to only land in that one, in that two-game window. But I'm going to go against the grain on this one and say UCLA loses here. If they don't, I won't be surprised either. I think my original bracket is UConn against UCLA. But I'm just going out on a limb and changing it just because I do think that Gonzaga didn't play their best in the first weekend, and I think they're just going to turn it up on the offensive end. I also think that uh, you know the series is tied at all is tied all time at two to two or one to one with crazy games in the NCAA tournament. So it's really truly a toss up in this matchup, but it'll be a great game no matter what. Yeah, I think this one is a toss-up, and because of that, I'm just going to uh, disagree with you a little bit. Just we have some different picks here. I will take UCLA, but it's it's razor-thin margin. Um, okay, let's move next to number five-seeded San Diego State versus number one-seeded Alabama in the South. Well, this is the region that has zero Final Fours outside of Princeton, which I believe was in 1964, 1965. Uh, which means we're going to get a fresh face in the Final Four, which is nice. Um, and frankly, that other region with Tennessee and FAU and Michigan State and Kansas State, if it's not Michigan State, will be 
a very fresh face in the in the Final Four as well. Uh, but I'm going with Alabama here. Uh, I do think this is the year that Nate Oates breaks through with Alabama, takes them all the way to the Final Four. They've gotten close in other years. They've got they've had the talent. I think this is the year, though, that by far they've had the most talent and they're the most Final Four ready. They have a dominant player, finally, um, with Brandon Miller. They have great play inside, um, something that San Diego State kind of prides themselves on. And I really do think that this is going to be a sneaky good game. I don't think that Alabama is going to crush San Diego State. And I think that people are probably underestimating them a little bit. But at the very beginning of that region, I think I literally got one game wrong in this region in terms of my bracket. I only got Princeton winning twice wrong. That was it. So this ha- this has gone exactly as I thought it would at the beginning. Um, I circled Creighton as a potential Final Four team many times. I actually do have a document that has things that I've seen uh, throughout the season that tries to help me pick my bracket. And I actually do have a thing that says Creighton to the Final Four if Bama is their number one seed or Purdue. But I'm going to go against that and say that Bama not only beats San Diego State, but also goes to the Final Four. Despite the fact that Creighton has been playing too well, I just think that that injury that they picked up, they can't play a six-man rotation and beat Alabama. I just don't think that's possible. All right, so I've, I'm agreeing with you on Alabama, agreeing with uh, Alabama in the Final Four, and you kind, of I think, previewed, you kind of previewed who you have, Princeton versus Creighton. It's a, it's a good story that Princeton was able to make it this far, but, I mean, I, I would love to be able to pick them, but objectively there is just no way in the world that I could pick Creighton to lose this game. They're playing they're playing well enough that, this, that if this was a two-seed, I might pick them over the two-seed, um, which I did in my original bracket. Um, but the way they're playing right now, there's no way they lose to a 15. I, I, I think that Princeton had an amazing story, and I think that they are still playing well enough that they will keep this close. I think both of these games will be closer than people think, but I'm still picking Creighton. Yeah, me too. Uh, Princeton, nice season. Great job. Enjoy your run. Enjoy the trip down, uh, I think, what, to Kansas City? No, where, where's that region? I think they are in, uh, I will check the bracket. They're going to Louisville. Enjoy your trip to Louisville. Uh, it's going to be a short one. Let's move on to our final region, which is the Midwest, where we have number five Miami versus number one seeded Houston. Same thing as the UConn pick. I have said this whole season that UConn, that, sorry, that Houston is the best team in the country. Uh, I think actually when I was gushing about UConn maybe in November, I said that the only team I wouldn't put them above is Houston, and I will still do the same thing. I will not put any team above Houston. I have stuck with that from the beginning of the year. From the middle of the offseason, there was nothing that could take me off the Houston hype train. Uh, Number one in anything that I did preseason, I am not backing off of that now. They've lost three times this year, one time with Sasser not even playing um, against Memphis in that conference championship game. I don't don't see how—I can see how you can pick against this team if you you aren't already committed to them. But I am so committed to this team because I've just said they're the best all year long, and they really haven't proven me wrong at all. Uh, that I don't really see why I would pick against them now. Um, I think actually even the Auburn second half was a sign that they actually had gotten their swagger back because they did not play well against Northern Kentucky. They kind of just gutted out that win. And then the first half, they kind of showed that they weren't playing their best against Auburn, but they were able to push through that anyway. And then Auburn made like three shots from the field in the entire second half. They got like all their points from the free throw line. And Houston might have had like 15 or 16 fouls in that half. And Auburn might have shot... 30-ish free throws, at least 25, and yet Houston still was able to come out with that win pretty convincingly, might I add. Um, So I got to go with Houston here, and I got to also go with them in the Final Four just because I can't back off of something that I've picked for so long. It's been from the beginning of the season um, until the time I made my bracket. I got to stick with them until until it's the end. All right, well, I've got Houston over Miami, but 
might have a different Final Four than you. Who do you have in number three, Xavier, against number two, Texas? I also think this game will be closer than people think. This tournament, people don't understand how close the teams are to each other this year. I've been trying to say this. This is why there's a region where there's a nine, a four, a three, and a seven, and one of them has to make the final four. Um, and we're guaranteed to, at most, have a two-one seed final four. Um, I think I think Texas is going to take this game, though. I, I do think, from watching the Big 12 this season... Frankly, I almost put in my biggest surprises that the Big 12 not doing well was a surprise. Um, I barely took them off and put TCU there instead. But I really do think that that conference is still amazing. Um, I think that the Big East is also under-respected. I think the Big 12 is being accurately rated as one of the best conference years of all time. But I do think that the Big East is underrated, but at the same time... In the matchup of the underrated versus the equally rated as the or adequately rated as the best of all time, I got to go with the adequately rated conference. I'm gonna go with Texas. I also think that Xavier wasn't really playing their greatest last weekend, um, and I wouldn't be surprised if Texas is just able to shut them down if they get it going offensively. There's no way Xavier can beat them. Yeah, I've got Texas in this game, and I got Texas advancing to the Final Four for a little uh, little disparity between you and I. All right, that wraps up our look back at college basketball for this week. It also wraps this edition of the 4th and 24 podcast. Please be sure to check out our next podcast, which will be on Monday, March 27th, where we will once again recap Patrick's weekend predictions, have our weekly look at the NBA, and look back at NCAA tournament action, this time the second weekend of the NCAA tournament. In the meantime, please be sure to check out Patrick's additional content, including his NCAA final basketball tournament bracket, and compare it to what the committee selections are, um, if you haven't done that already and Patrick's picks for next weekend's games that, as we mentioned before, will be posted, as always, on Thursday on our website, which is 4thand24.com. That's the number 4, T-H-A-N-D, the number 24.com. Thank you for listening.